Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Red Card Report podcast. This is episode 91. I am your host, Ruizinho Dos Santos, coming at you all with another episode this week. And as you can tell, given the introduction, my co-host, Joe Cappuccino, is not in the studio with me tonight, but I do have a special guest with me, and he's not a stranger on the Red Card Report. He is... My good friend, Eddie Baptista. How are you, man? Yo, I'm doing very well. I had to second guess myself not to say doing fantastic, because I feel like every time I come on the show, I say, I'm doing fantastic. Fantastic as always. <laughs> no, but I'm doing well, man. Summer's been awesome. Can't complain. And I'm excited to announce that I've signed a three-year contract with the Red Card Report, so I'm going to be here for the next couple seasons. Well, you know, obviously this is probably the biggest signing of the summer. Forget Jaden Sancho, forget Rafael Varon. We got Eddie Baptista That's joining right. the Red Card Report, and Joe Cappuccino in the mud. In the mud. Doesn't even know he's out of a job. We haven't broke the news yet, but those of you that are tuning in, y'all are the first ones to find out that Joe Cappuccino is without a job. So, but Eddie, you mentioned the your summer has been pretty good. What'd you make of the Euros? Oh, the Euros was absolutely fantastic. Like it did not disappoint, not one bit. I tried to watch as many group stage games, as many knockout games, and it was just full of action. There was not one disappointing game. Absolutely amazing. What a great tournament. We were just beyond blessed. Yeah, I thought like a lot of the games were really thrilling but there was like a lot of disappointments in in teams and national teams but the two that made the finals were the best teams in the tournament the most consistent the most convincing biggest disappointment was obviously france you could throw spain in there and portugal because those were like the three teams that everyone was talking about belgium as well Mm -hmm. um but i i kind of predicted belgium to sort of fall off especially after the 18 the 2018 world cup where they were at their peak and that was when so many of their top players were starting to get old and fall off their you know fall off their prime but you know portugal disappointing france very disappointing they didn't even play one good game in my opinion um i don't know what what do you think yeah, very frustrating with Portugal because, I mean, going into the tournament, you know, you have such a star-studded cast of players and you have, you know, representatives from so many of the top leagues, you know, just bar Cristiano Ronaldo, you have so many talented players and it was just disappointing because you did expect more, even though they were in the group of death, but I expected way more coming out of that group. I thought that whoever came out of that group, you know, had a chance to win the tournament and it was Nowhere near that, you know, between Germany, France, and Portugal, just absolute disappointment. But I think that there was so many other teams that just came in and head and shoulders above their own uh, expectations and just outperformed, you know, the Denmarks, the Croatias, Sweden, another one just, you know, coming out with not so many big names, but as a team performed so much better than than their competitors. And just to touch back on onto Portugal, obviously I have to shine some light on my country. I was really pleased how they rebounded after the Germany game because even even to this day, I think Portugal is still the better national team. I think that loss was all on Fernando Santos. I saw some sort of promise afterwards 
against France and even against Belgium, even though we weren't able to find the back of the net, we really played a good game. But to win the tournament, just like Italy did and just like how England got to the final, you have to step up and score in the moments that matter. And that's what happened to France. That's what happened to Belgium. That's what happened to Germany. This is why all these teams got all knocked out. And look at the teams like Denmark losing Christian Eriksen in the first match and losing that match as well. And they were able to bounce back and just fight. And that's what makes tournaments like these so great is when these small teams, these under underdogs, these Cinderella uh, teams just go on play against all the odds yeah. and just go as far as they did. Yeah, you had a few teams. Even Ukraine is another one who just surprised so many. And, you know, credit to Shevchenko. He was, you know, such a huge, uh, you know, manager in there. And I don't like blaming or giving credit too much to the manager. But with Fernando Sanchez, I feel like they were holding, he was holding back Portugal as a team because he didn't want to use as much, you know, his weapons the way that he should have. I feel like he tapped into some of his subs maybe a little bit too late. He didn't rotate his starting 11 as much as he should have. Mm-hmm. I feel like he was uh, really using a slower midfielder with with William and Danilo yeah. as as those pivoting you know, two center mids. You only have one of those on the pitch at it, one yeah. time. And it just slowed down the game so much. And it was apparent when you brought in somebody like Renato Sanchez and, and the game changed. And it was not enough of that. You know, you have um, Pedro Gonçalves, who was the, the leading scorer in the Portuguese league last season. He didn't even get a look. Uh, you had so many other talented players, even João Felix. You know, he, he got some burn later on. But you're going to tell me you're going to preface Andre Silva over the leading scorer. I'm not saying that yeah. it's, it's the better choice, but yeah. you really want to put in somebody that's going to be in the moment, you know, coming off a, a, a career high, you know, a season high. You know, go with who's hot. But I think Portugal definitely underperformed. You know, I was frustrated with, with Jota. I feel like he could have, you know, brought a, a little bit more to the table. But like you're saying, they had an excellent team, but just did not bring it to the table. Same thing with France, even more so. He had like Mbappe, who was just a shadow of himself, didn't even come to the tournament ready to play. So it was just a lot of things. But that group, just the group of death was really the group of disappointment. Yeah, it really was, and and really, you can't you can't even say who was really the best one out of all three of those because they were all knocked out immediately, and they weren't really that enjoyable to watch. Yeah, Hungary was actually more yeah. enjoyable to watch than yeah. all three of them, and you know it's sad that you know they 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 choked in that last yeah. game against Germany, but it was in the bag with them for a while, and then just fell apart. But Hungary definitely big ups to them; they should have gotten out of that group. Yeah, I, I wanted to mention Hungary as like one of those smaller teams that you were mentioning earlier, but then I was like, oh, like they finished fourth. They didn't get out of the group, and they almost did if they just hung on against Germany. But um, just to wrap things up in the arrow, you and I and our Juventini friends, <laughs> Rose and Joe, shout out Joe Cappuccino, who's, yeah. not in, who's not unemployed. He is. He'll be back soon with us. He's just taking a little bit of a break with school and whatnot. And um, also our friends, Milan Club, Boston, we're yep. up there. We went up to Scorpion Bar in Seaport, watched the final, 300 people in a bar, all Unreal. Italy, all Unreal. Italy fans. Um, 300 ta- Italians in a Mexican bar with no Aperol Spritz, oh, yeah. but it was still oh, a hell dude. of a party. Wow. Dude, oh, <laughs> I was so mad. I wanted that Aperol Spritz. Like, I know. I know. Instead, we had Corona, which is, hey, 
not coronavirus, but Corona beers. <laughs> <laughs> it was still good. Oh my god! No, the the atmosphere there was unbelievable. The whole game was just like nail biting, but it was beautiful to watch. You know how Italy performed that game, just uh, controlling that whole midfield. Like Verratti, hands yeah. up! Like rounds of round of applause for him. Just that final, he put on ten out of ten performance. Just outshined that whole English midfield. Showed them how to play. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a unreal final. I feel like we got the best of it because we got to spend it with a room full of Italians that were just there and just celebrating that win. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah no, it was just a great experience just to, you know, be in a giant room full of yeah. Italians and just, you know, we were all Italian that day. We were all pulling yeah. for Italy. Yeah. Um, and watching Italy overcome that early goal because that's just a huge sucker punch. doesn't matter what game it is letting up a goal that soon against a team that is playing really well, that was in form and that is yeah. dangerous. It's never easy to overcome that, but you saw the press, you saw the energy, the intensity from the English early on and Italy were able to find a way. They were a little slow, probably within the first 25 minutes trying to get a groove in. You know, after that goal, there wasn't a lot of creation from both sides shots on goal or anything but i guess as the time was going yeah. on italy was finding a way to get around the press break down the english press and also kind of kind of tiring them out when it came on into the second half this is when italy was just just knocking on their doors and i think england got tired they were going with that same intensity but to do that for 90 minutes you start to wear down and then italy were able to find that goal from the second half onward it was all Italy. Yeah, in my it was opinion. just domination. But I just feel like England just went on the back foot. Probably one of the worst things that you can do as well. One of the worst things and one of the best things is to get an early goal. But it's about how you respond to that. Yeah. And I feel like England kind of was just trying to ride that one nil result, and that just put them under pressure for you know ninety percent of the match. Uh, which you know you gave the cards to Italy, and it's all in their hands. And what they did was just toy around with that midfield. And like Rui, you just said, they got tired. And eventually, they just got wore down. And and, and with with the Italians, it's a mental game too. So it was really nice to see. Uh, I think, you know, Mancini, kudos to him, how he prepared for that game. You know, outplayed Southgate. Uh, and I just feel like that game was just one in the midfield. So Verratti. And then you had the two center backs who were just standout. Just, yeah. You had Kane, Sterling, that didn't even get a sniff at goal. You know, after that first chance, and it was just a very nice Italian performance. Very Italian performance. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was just vintage, vintage Chiellini, vintage Bonucci. This is what made them great while they were playing together at Juventus in their peaks. And this past season in Serie A, we didn't see that. But nope. those seven games in the Euro, they just stood out, and they were just they were the best defenders by yeah. far. I don't know what it is. I mean, as much as I hate those two, you have to give credit where credit is due, and they really showed up in that tournament. You can see the years that they have together, and it just really shone, and it it came to fruition how well a defensive partnership, you know, can work. Yeah. And then, you know, when it went down to PKs, I, I could tell everybody in that room was nervous, but I know with Donnarumma, there's no, there's nowhere I'll go and say that Donnarumma... It, 
you know, won't be dominant on that line. So, and he proved it, you know, yep. it's a mental game too, but he is just a monster between the sticks and he showed it, you yep. know, just, I mean, the, the only, the only one that was convincing was Harry Maguire who broke the, the TV camera after he took <laughs> his penalty shot. That's pretty much the only way to score on Donnarumma, but he was just yep. lights out in net. Yeah, he was. And it's crazy how much that guy's matured over the years and he's just turned into yeah. really definitely a top five goalkeeper in the world. And just overall, collectively, the Italian national team, what they've been able to do, it's like the last two years they've been on a fuck you tour. And me personally, I didn't think, I knew they were going to be good going into this year. I didn't think that they were going to win. I didn't think they had that that experience because there's so many young guys. Yeah, you have Bonucci, you have Chiellini who are well experienced. But you but have newcomers. You always would think that they were a little bit washed up given their their form the last couple of seasons but you have all the newcomers you have Locatelli came off the bench and scored two goals against I believe it was Austria or it was the yep. last group game um you had Barella yeah Barella. you had I mean Players I just, keep mentioning Verratti but unbelievable he was so yeah, good Jorginho. Chiesa Jorginho all all players that you would put in your yep. uh tournament 11 yeah and just collectively how this team just bounced back just from three years ago two and a half years ago from no three and a half years ago from being knocked out of out of uh the world cup qualifiers and there was a huge question mark about the future of the italian national team are they going to be threatening again and roberto mancini all these young players that that came up through the ranks stepped up and he made it somehow somehow work. So yeah. just a quick question before we just move on to the next topics. Who do you give do you think do you think uh Italy would be as threatening if they had another manager? Do you do you I, I guess what I'm gonna say is you think do you credit the players more or do you credit uh Roberto Mancini? I think it was all there. He had all the tools necessary, and it's just how could he use them to just orchestrate that winning mentality? You know, he had all the tools. He had the great attack. I mean, between Insigne, I'm sorry, Immobile. <laughs> he, I mean, he still did his thing. Yeah. You know, you, you can't get mad at that. Chiesa, who really rose to the occasion, and then, you know, that back line was absolutely lights out so i think he had the tools and he he was able to guide them i feel like he has a breadth of international experience uh from from just coaching in italy and to coaching abroad you know this guy has been a lot of places so i give credit where credit is due i feel like from a manager standpoint he was able to find that balance between letting the players play and dictate but also just engineering what needs to be done in order to win. And, and that was embedded. It's, a, it's just a perfect orchestra of those two. And sometimes that's what you need to happen. It doesn't always happen the way you envision. Obviously, every manager wants that balance, but he was able to just get those players to perform in the right moments, and it really showed at the end. Yep. You know, now he's, he's a king in Italy. Yeah. yeah. And he was definitely needed, and they needed a performance like this. And... Really, Italy shocked the world. They they were the best team. They really yeah. England and Italy were the best teams, and Italy won convincingly, and they deserved it. And congratulations, yeah. Joe, <laughs> and to all of our Italian listeners out there, you guys deserved it, and I'm happy you guys are back uh, on top again. Still celebrating, but no, I I think that 
Italy, I said it when I watched them play their first two matches. They were by far yeah. the most complete team. Yeah. Uh, between Italy and Belgium, like at first glance, they were the most complete team. I thought one of those two teams was going to win the tournament. And, you know, rightly so for Italy. Yep. So let's move on to England okay. as we were just talking about them. Some positive news for a certain fan base. Manchester United are making some big time moves, oh, signing yeah. Jaden Sancho from Borussia Dortmund for 80 million pounds, Rafael Varane from Real Madrid for 41 million pounds, who was on his final year of his contract at Real Madrid. And it doesn't seem like they are stopping just yet. So uh, two huge signings. And I would say watching Manchester United the last three years has been not the greatest. And a lot of Manchester United fans have not been the happiest. But I think these are two signings that United definitely needed to to beef up on. They definitely need another center back to pair with Maguire. Another winger to fill on that that right side that mm -hmm. Jaden Sancho did remarkably well in the Bundesliga the last few seasons. What do you think of this team so far? They're not done. They're still looking for other players. These are two huge signings. Are they... Some people are talking title shot contenders. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Eddie? I mean, Man U, they've been rebuilding the last five to seven years. You know, it's been it's been a long, tumultuous project with a lot of managers, you know, that have gone through there. And, you know, right now, Ole, he has he's at the rain. Um, they're trying to find that perfect mix of, you know, that young talent, leadership, experience, and that winning mentality they always been synonymous with. Um, I feel like Ole, he hasn't really been the right guy for the job. However, you know, with them rebuilding, you have to have that patience. You know, he's had minimal success compared to Mourinho, who actually had silverware. I feel like if you compare them, you know, tit for tat in terms of, you know, how many points they're getting, their defensive record, you know, Mourinho does trump them. Won the Europa League with them. Uh, did the, the Community Shield in 1617, uh, the League Cup. And also, he was he achieved the highest points since Sir Alex. Yeah. So eighty-one with points. With a terrible squad that year. With a terrible squad, Finished and he second. had, and he's had the best defensive season since for Sir uh, Sir Alex. So uh, he had twenty-eight goals against in his last season, and then uh, twenty-nine goals before. against the year before that. So you can't doubt his numbers. But I feel like Ole. Um, you know, he's still a young, inexperienced manager. He's just, you know, building that presence in the locker room. But with Sancho coming in, he's already adding in to another, you know, to a bolstering attack that Man United has. But I think the most important thing is that back line. Uh, you know, I I know that Sir Alex once tried to sign Rafael Varane, I think it was in 2011, yep. for like under 5 million pounds from Lille. I think and Mar uh, Mourinho beat him to it. No, it was Zidane. So he probably sweet talked him, give him the the little s'il vous plaît, You know, he gave him a little bit of, of French, and you know, he went to to Madrid. So finally, full circle, Varane's there. I feel like Varane is uh, such a heavyweight in that center back position. You know, from a physical stature standpoint and from an aerial battle standpoint, yeah. he trumps Lindelof. You know, oh, so. Yeah. Between him and Maguire, it's going to be an amazing pair. I think he's going to he's going to be able to establish that physical presence, which is also going to free up Maguire 
Maguire is a very uh, strong player of long balls. So yeah. Man United do like to play out the back long balls. So other than just going through Bruno Fernandes, I feel like that will be another outlet for them too. Yeah, I think so. And I think it, I think that pair, if if Varane, I think the last couple of seasons um, with Rafael Varane, obviously he's battled a few injuries. Real Madrid weren't really at their best, even though they won the league a couple of years ago. I don't think Varane was really at where he was three years ago, the last year that Real Madrid won the Champions League. Maybe a change in scenery, you know, him coming back from an injury, this is the place to be where he can yeah. where he can take off his career again. And as you mentioned, I really like Harry Maguire because a lot of people he's not to me, he's not a number one center back, but he can be that center back that can pair well with someone as you mentioned. He's a great supporter. Like, yeah, a supporter. Um, sort of like a Leonardo Bonucci. Believe it or not, a lot of people a lot of people that don't follow the EPL will think that Harry Maguire's just this big like Goofy, big, dude. Goofy, yeah. Big bodied guy, big defender. Goofy bloke. But he's actually really good on the ball. Yeah. Um, and especially when his first season at Manchester United, before Bruno Fernandes arrived, many instances, especially Fred, when they first got Fred, he was completely out of place. He was supposed to be that Regista guy, that play, that deep lying playmaker. A lot of the times it was actually Harry Maguire being that guy. Uh Fred was just very like shy and I guess nervous or whatever at first when he first um, signed with Manchester United and he wasn't really producing and Harry Maguire was the guy that was launching balls forward then Bruno arrived and you know the job became easier so when you have a guy like Harry Maguire who's a solid defender overall but really good at possessing the ball and launching the long ball you know it's another it's another option and having Varane to pair with him to compensate and be that stronger defender guy, the guy that reads the game a lot more, that sits back more. Uh, I think it's going to be a great pair. So I don't know. It, a lot of there's been a lot of talk about those two together, as well as John Stones from Manchester City and then Virgil Van Dyke. We already know how great he is and whoever he's going to be paired with next season. Do you think that? that those two, Maguire and Varane, are in the same ballpark. Yeah, I mean, just comparing Varane to, you know, the top-performing center backs in the Premier League, um, you know, I was looking at some some stuff earlier in prepping for this. So you have Ruben Dias and Thiago Silva, who were probably the two top center backs in the league. And if you compare Varane's numbers in terms of tackles and, and passes and the stats – I mean, he's right up there with them. So I feel like it's going to be a battle trying to figure out, you know, who's that best defensive pairing with Virgil coming back from injury. I don't know how it's going to be. I feel like there is going to be a little bit more time before we see the true Virgil van Dyke when he's back. But this signing is super key. You know, Sir Alex always believed, you know, attack wins you games and defense wins you titles. So... That's what they're trying to do. I feel like Ole, you know, he 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 was in Sir Alex's locker room plenty of times. So he knows, even though he's an inexperienced manager, uh, he has, you know, the youth that is supportive of him. But now he's having those mainstays, those anchors in the back that he can really depend on. And Varane, he's a world beater. You know, he's been there. He's won well, everything. Exactly. He's won everything. So 
granted, he's had his share of injuries. He's had his setbacks. He's been at that stage that man you need. They need, you know, that 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 rock that's been in the final, that's won it. Not like Harry Maguire that's been in the final and they fucked it up. Sorry, <laughs> twice. England, twice. But it, I I I think that this kind of puts man man you into that title shot. Because you look at this last season, I mean, they could have won the title. They they just dropped off a lot. They yeah. finished. They finished. They second. were missing pieces. They they and were missing pieces. But the center back was obviously one of the main factors. Um, another thing too from Veron, I've always been critical of him. I always felt that he has been as six. I I always said that he was a good center back, but I never considered him to be great mm-hmm. because he always played alongside Sergio Ramos. And I know you can say that about any second center back playing against playing alongside a great center back. But there were moments in the champions leagues over the years where Sergio Ramos didn't play in the second leg against Juventus in 2018 and Juventus scored. They went up three, nothing in that game, the IX second leg where Ramos wasn't there. Um, And I think the Manchester city, the second leg Ramos got a red card in the first leg. He was out in the second leg and Varane was completely exposed and he was exposed this year too in the Champions League. I have though in those moments, and I know it's not fair to judge a player just on a few games, four four or five poor games, but when it's the big games that matter most, those elimination games where he is the guy to anchor mm-hmm. the defense and Ramos isn't there yeah. and he's failed. Yeah. I, I, I mean, don't know, do you think do you think I'm being too hard on that? No. Like, do you think he's going to he's going to take this opportunity and make a statement out of it and turn into and and be one of the best center backs in the world? It's just establishing partnership. I think whether or not your partner, you know, you guys work well together, you have a good chemistry. I go high, you go low. I'll clean up the dirty balls and you know you're you're winning the aerial challenges whatever there has to be that that chemistry and I think with with Sergio Ramos and Veranda was a good balance but when it's just him you know you see the weakness mm-hmm. so it's compromising and complementing each other at, at the same time so we'll see how the partnership works with Maguire obviously he has to be more of a leader in this instance or maybe Maguire steps up and be is is more of a leader but with Sergio Ramos obviously you know who wore you know, the pants in that relationship, it was Sergio Ramos. He carried Madrid, you yeah. know, whenever they needed, you know, something to turn around a game, he was there, yeah. but Varane was there watching. He knows what needs to be done. So now he's at a stage where, you know, you're out old Trafford clean slate. You really have a chance to define a legacy. So this could be the season where he really makes another name for himself and he proves Rui wrong. I, I hope, <laughs> I, I mean, I like Manchester United in England, so I hope he does prove me wrong. I have been critical of him, and maybe it's not fair. Maybe yeah. it's not fair to judge a guy just on a few games, but those big games are what stand out to me the most. And I think to be great, you have to perform at those moments when you do when you're when you're given them. Because sometimes to be to be in a position like that, you might never get it again. So you have to perform. But so with all these acquisitions, I think you know obviously it's a huge upgrade, Rafael Varane. I think I think they. Him and Maguire, as we mentioned, are going to pair well. Are they title contenders, or do are they missing a piece still? I mean, they have all the tools they need to bounce back this season with the squad that's just oozing and oozing with talent. 
there is really no excuse. Mm -hmm. Um, After almost a decade of soul-searching, this could be the season that puts them back on the PL throne. I'm not going to call it, but I feel very good about it. I feel like they could be in the top running. They're they're top three for me um, in terms of uh, title contenders. So we'll see. It's a it's a marathon, but I'm with Man U. Yeah. I think this these two huge signings is going to change their season for the for the better. Yeah, and they're going to keep the guys that were already playing. Um, Mason Greenwood uh, is still going to be there. Donny Van Der Beek still on the bench, which kind of leads me into this one issue that I have with Manchester United. I think they can do well. I think they can win even with Cavani. Um, and if Anthony Marshall is going to be playing 15, 20 games or coming off the bench as a rotational player, I think they can do well with that because he's going to have more tools mm-hmm. to work with. Mm-hmm. You know, Bruno Fernandes, uh, Rashford, and now Jaden Sancho, those and Paul Pogba in the midfield, I think he's going to be staying. I think it's that other midfielder, uh, because United like to go four, two, three, one. Mm-hmm. It's that other midfielder next to Paul Pogba that's a big question mark. I feel like to really, as you mentioned, defense wins titles. That's what Sir Alex Ferguson said. I think Manchester United need a defensive destroyer in that midfielder, in that midfield position, especially when you have a player like Pogba and Bruno Fernandes, yeah. uh, Fernandes to, to work with. They don't quite have that. And Donny van der Beek... Sure, he played that number six position in the Eredivisie, yeah. but he can't be that guy. You say that. Fred, McTominay, they're defensive, but they're not enough. And they also, to me, lack that quality going forward yeah. um, You know, as distributors, as deep-lying playmakers. They're okay, but they're not good enough. I still think that United need to patch that, 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 that position still. I know that. Uh, Van der Beek has been on a quite an extensive uh, weightlifting program. This guy has been getting jacked. Yeah, I see. <laughs> this guy is ready. I've He's going to be Adama Traore over here. But no, I, I think that's going to also elevate his game a bit. He's doing what he needs to do to improve in the English game, uh, to improve you know, his position in the squad. I, I think we're going to see a different side of him. Who knows? Um, Prove me wrong again, right? Eddie? No, we, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> He's going to come back in May and be like, Rue, yeah. I told you, man. I've been I've been taking these steroids I got from Atalanta. <laughs> no, but I, I, man, you, like with everything that I mentioned, you know, they are, they are certainly going to be in the running for a top de- defensive pairing right. between Varane and Maguire. But then across the town to City, you have... You know they've spared no expense in in terms of defense. They could they could take out their two main center backs and replace it with two starting center backs that are just as good. So uh, I'm just wondering, it's the longevity. You know, can can, can Varane go a season being healthy? Yeah. You know, who who are you gonna have to sub in? And then is that when you start dropping points because you're giving up shitty goals? Yeah. Who knows? But it's a long season. Uh, but I do think it's 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 in their corner. They have what it takes to to win the Premier League. We're going to have to wait and see. Maybe Donny van de Beek turns into, I don't know, Michael Essien of the Netherlands. It could be. It is possible. It is possible. Yeah. So staying in the English vein, and we talked about Portugal before, so we're going to mix both of them together. Uh, Portuguese co- coaches in the EPL, Eddie. So obviously Nuno Espirito Santo is well known for what he's what he did at, at Wolverhampton, taking him from the championship all the way up to Europe. 
uh, in his first try in the Premier League. He's moving on to Tottenham. And Bruno Lage, which a lot of people do not know about, is taking Nuno Espirito Santos' spot at Wolverhampton. So what do you think about all this? Big, big shoes to fill because Espirito uh, Santos, he just, I mean, he took that Wolves team to another level, really gave you know Wolves fans some fantastic football to watch. Yep. Some great players, some great scouting, but... Bruno Lage is going to have to just reimagine this team because it seems like it's another, it's going to be a rebuilding year for, uh, for Wolves. I'm sorry. And, you know, they've had some injury setbacks. A few big names have left. And, you know, they've had a poor run of form from, from some players. So he has a, a lot of work to do. But, you know, the, the only way is up for Wolves. You know, they have a, a nice budget. They've, they've made some, some great, you know, uh, some great transfers, you know, making some money. They're, they're talking about, you know, having uh, Adama Traore go to follow Nuno Espirito Santo to Spurs. That's another, you know, 40 million pounds. You know, maybe Cody um, also going to, to Spurs. That's going to be another 40 million pounds. So, you know, they're going to be rolling in the dough, have some money to buy some some players. But like I said, their scouting is is on, you know, another level. They're bringing in unknowns and they're really shining in that league. Yeah, buying young players, a lot of young Portuguese players that have been blossoming. I mean, we look at Diogo Jota, and really, he, he grew so much. You know, it, it seemed like his his form was really going to stagnate at Atletico Madrid, and I think that was the best move ever was for him to go on loan mm-hmm. to Wolverhampton and stay at Wolverhampton, and I think he's grown so much as a player. And, um, you know, there's so many others that have left Wolverhampton, and they're out in for huge fees and that's only great for the club because they're just constantly investing in younger players and they're doing so well and this is where I like how Bruno Lage was chosen to replace Nuno Espirito Santo because Bruno Lage spent so many years in the Benfica Youth Academy which is one of the cream one of the cream of the crops in all of Absolutely. world football when it comes to youth players when you look at João Cancelo, Bernardo Silva, Gonçalo Guedes uh, geez, well, uh, Nelson Semedo, yeah. so many players that came, and there's so many more that I'm not even naming right now that he's familiar with, and he helped grow those players. Also, he has a little bit of experience as an assistant manager in the English Premier League, so he has that understanding, that culture, that taste of being in the EPL. So I think for a no-name coach, I think this is a good shot because it really is. Even when Nuno Espirito Santo went to Wolverhampton, a lot of people just didn't know how that was going to turn out. And maybe there's, maybe they know something that we all don't know, or a lot of people don't know that Bruno Lage is the right guy for the job. And look at his look at his tenure at Benfica. You know, he turned a a disaster of a season into a championship. Turned everything around in. 12 months that he was the coach there, he had a 79% winning percentage and Benfica was playing some of the best football and, you know, during their dominance, that reign of dominance that they had. So, you know, I think his tactics were really good and I think maybe it'll translate into the EPL. But I think the thing is uh, where I'm getting at is how Wolverhampton have become that team that finds these little gems and just grow them and blossom them into good players Bruno Lodge, I believe, can find talent and see what is a good potential. Mm-hmm. 
and grow it into something. And he's familiar with that. He was trained well. And, you know, as I mentioned, his little experience as an assistant manager in England, I think can kind of give him a little taste or uh, prepare him a little bit for what's to come. Yeah. Yeah. I think going to Wolves, it's, it's a smart move too, because it's, it's not one of those big clubs where, you know, you're overshadowed by a ton of pressure. You know, you go to, to a Spurs, to an Arsenal, to a Chelsea, any manager is going to have a high amount of pressure and being at Wolves, it's, you know, the expectation, I'm not trying to discredit them, but the expectation is not as high. You know, you're not aiming for Europe. The dream is to, you know, qualify for Europe. You know, the dream is, you know, you want to win a Premier League, but it's not realistic for Wolves. But I think with with him coming in, he has a lot to prove, but the pressure is not there. So you really have an opportunity to get the most out of a lot of these players, really give them, you know, the confidence and trust to go out there and win you games. And with Wolves, they're 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 known for you know bringing down the big the big guns, you know just Nuno Spiritu Santo you know two two they seasons ago title, yeah they they pretty much uh, on both legs of the of their matchup with Man City, you know Man City didn't beat them in eighteen nineteen or was it nineteen twenty that they went back to back home and away fixtures beat Man City twice yeah. So, you know, the Nuno Espirito Santo and just Wolves as a whole, the, you know, they have that mentality where there's no one that's that's bigger than you. And, you know, you want to have that in the dressing room. You want to have that on the pitch. And it's, he's shown that. So him going to Spurs is huge. But also Bruno Lage going to, to Wolves to continue that Portuguese legacy really opens the door to show, like, how talented uh, the, the Portuguese players coming out of Portugal are and really just elevates the quality yeah. in, in the Portuguese talent yeah. just on the national team and then even players wanting to get out of the Portuguese league to go into play into to the Premier League. That's pretty much the dream, yeah. you know, best league in the world. Yeah, and it's a great time for all this to happen too because Portugal is still pumping out. You know, they're, they're in the beginning of their golden generation even though Cristiano Ronaldo is at kind of the back end of his, uh, of his career. But there's so much talent pumping out yeah. of all these youth academies. It's not just Spartan now. Your team, Spartan, that has been known to grow some of the best Portuguese players. Now it's Porto. Now it's Benfica. And it's even Braga as well. Mm -hmm. And Ruiz have done well to blossom some players too. So I guess the next question I'm going to ask you, who do you think has a tougher job? Ooh, it's it's definitely noon. Uh, definitely Nunu because uh, obviously he's stepping into Jose Mourinho's old job. He's faced with, you know, a lot of players exiting Spurs, just rebuilding, you know, he really has his work cut out for him, but I, I, I feel like he has no fears or qualms about it. He's ready to take it with open arms. You know, he even said that, you know, the Spurs motto is to dare is to do, and he keeps repeating in his head over and over and he loves it. So uh, that's what he wants to do. I, I, I feel like he will represent that into his tactics. You know, he's, you know, by the book, tactical, just mastermind. Uh, so you'll see that come out depending on who he signs. You know, it's 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 going to be big. It's going to be big. Uh, like I said, Traore is probably going. Cody's probably going. He's trying to establish that back line. You already had, I mean, Kane is probably going to leave, but you still have such, you know, big threats in the attack between Sun. Lucas Mora, Deli Ali when Dele he wants Ali, to be you know, not lazy. <laughs> yeah, so he's still going to have a great team. It's just, 
you know, you're in the shadow of, you know, the, the big four. Yeah. And it's like, how are you going to compete against those? Because for so long, Spurs has been, you know, kind of a laughing stock behind Arsenal and in London. And it's just like, what can you do? What can you deliver? Oh, we put the pressure on them. That's not good enough. And, yep. you know, for so long, they want, you know, they made it to a Champions League final a couple, couple seasons ago. And their fans really saw the potential of yep. that club. So well, they saw that the project was paying off because they're still a big club. They had a bad couple of seasons, but they had a bad. I mean, I don't think they had bad seasons. I think that they underperformed. Yeah, they definitely didn't deliver, but it was there. They had they had all the weapons that they needed. Yeah, and and their road is, I mean, I guess the the maybe this season is not going to be the year where they're going. the The fans and the board is not going to going to expect Champions League position but for the long run you're you're they're expecting that Nuno Spiritus is going to be there for the long haul they want to get into the Champions League again and maybe win some silverware and potentially uh win the Premier League it's going to be so much more tough because you're looking at teams like Leicester City now Mm -hmm. who aren't really like this team that they were before obviously they won the league title and it was like a big miracle but they're that team that is consistently roaming around that that Champions League position. They finished in fifth the last two yeah. seasons, just missed out on the Champions League. But they're hanging on to their key guys, and they're bringing in key players that make differences. Um, maybe not enough to win the Premier League again, but enough to get to get them into the Champions yeah. League. You would think if Ndidi was to leave. They're not going to sell him because they need money. They're going to sell him. Okay, you want him? We're not going to say 75 million pounds. We're going to say 90 million pounds. We're going to say 100 million pounds. If you want him that bad, pay up. Uh, it's not about making profits to buy other young yeah. players. I think this team is is maybe three or four years behind what Tottenham were in 2019. Um, so this is where in the Premier League, it's going to be a lot more difficult to to maintain that status in the Champions League because there's only four spots and there's six, seven great teams or big, big teams that are capable uh, of qualifying for the for the tournament. So I'm really excited to see how this is going to play out. Nuno Espirito Santos got got a lot of work to do. This I think, yeah, yeah you know, I'm going to agree with you. I, th- I think Nuno has a much bigger job, a much uh much more pressure a lot more expectations yeah. so uh i hope he does well no nah, i i mean all signs point that he will you know all of the players have to buy in so you know get rid of that that driftwood that doesn't want to be at your your club anymore i think they're also getting rid of like harry winks he's selling him you know kane's halfway out the door going to city but the premier league it's it's a cutthroat league you know every match is pretty much a final you know, you have, you know, your usual that's in the running for the Premier League, but then you have these other dark horses like Leicester, like Aston Villa last yep. year who performed re- really well, Everton. You know, you have all these clubs that even Brighton, you can go there and lose. Mm-hmm. You know, dropping points in the Premier League is not something that's uncommon. You know, so uh, his, his his work is cut out for him. I know he could, you know, challenge the top teams. It's whether or not he can be consistent. You know, over the long run. Yep, and that's what it comes down to in the in in the EPL. It's it's consistency. Whether you're you're trying to win the the league like like Manchester City did with 98 points and Liverpool 97, or if you're just trying to qualify for that final fourth spot like Man United did two years ago. Yeah, they had to be consistent 
when Bruno arrives, they became more consistent. Not the prettiest style of football, but they were pulling in the results. They made the turnaround and they qualified. And that's the difference. And that's what separated Leicester City the last two seasons from not making the Champions League. Mm -hmm. You're playing well for a good portion of the season, but you have to pick up those points uh, when needed. And that's what hurt them. That's what missed. Them. That's what made them miss out on um, on the Champions League the last two years. So. Yeah. And I mean, going back to Man U, and you just mentioned Bruno Fernandes, he was really the vital key that kind of started turning uh, Man U into a yep. more complete team, really stringing those passes, just turned around that whole team, and great chemistry with Pogba. I feel like he gives Pogba a little bit more of a chance to shine. Mm -hmm. So between that, these last few signings that they've done, I'm, I'm, I'm super confident in them, and as well as Chelsea. Chelsea really impressed me in the, in the Champions yep. League. Just the whole knockout stage, you know, we were talking about, you know, the best Premier League defenses and, you know, Chelsea should always be mentioned in that because with yep. them being crowd, you know, the best best club in Europe, you know, they deserve a mention for their back line. Yep. They usually play three at the back. And they were fantastic in yeah. the final, yeah. Yeah, so with Rudiger, Aspi, and uh, Thiago Silva. And then you have great options. Yeah, great <laughs> options on the bench. Zuma, Christensen, you yep. know, they'll be out to prove, you know, why they lifted to the CL and they want to go and, and, and test for the Premier League. So they only conceded three goals in the whole knockout stage of uh, Champions, Champions League. League. You know, uh, two against Paris. One against and, Porto. And one against Porto. And it was just an absolute worldly goal. Too. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm I'm looking out for Chelsea. I feel like they're, they're going to be another one in the running. So Premier League race this year is going to be yeah. awesome. I mean, as always. But this year, I'm super amped after a major tournament. Some you know big names in his tournament, like I said, Christensen. He he impressed me. You know when he when he was uh, with Denmark, you know, awesome. So I'm excited for the Premier League. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited for the future of the red card report, Eddie. I think we 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 nailed the biggest signing of the summer so far. So we're happy to have you on. And you know what? This is it's been a while since you you've been on an, on a podcast with us. So it's it's great to chop it up with you again. Um, is there anything else that want to throw out before we wrap things up no i'm i'm super happy to be here you know i'm here to try to make this this podcast even better the way that i can you know add another another layer of quality you know Rui and joe have always been awesome you know and for me to bring my voice onto it you know my personality and just my knowledge whatever i can do to help make this better i'm here for it so i'm looking forward to you know this whole season talking about champions league the premier league the city the bundesliga international fixtures whatever it is i'm here for it and always the bullshit will come too <laughs> well eddie thank you for tuning or for tuning in no for joining us um while joe is out in a vegetarian school doing his thing but probably drinking almond milk or something making <laughs> almond milk smoothies but Eddie, uh, before I close the show, please tell everyone where they can find you on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, man. <laughs> Throw your social Shameless media out plug. there. Uh, yeah, just follow me on Twitter. It's at uh, ACMilan underscore EB. And then we can we can link after that. But follow me on Twitter. I'm, I'm promised to be a little bit more active. I kind of been like in the background just reading tweets, but I'll be there. Well, thank you all for tuning in for another episode of the Red Card Report. 
I think we're definitely back this time. This is like our third hiatus this year. Um, I'm I'm like ecstatic. the Undertaker. <laughs> yeah, it's back. Right. Uh, really I'm ecstatic back. to to be back, and it feels great to be recording and talking all things Calcio football and soccer. So, if you could, if you enjoy the show, please follow us. Uh, subscribe, hit the five stars on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at RCR underscore podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Red Card Report. And we'll see you next time. Hopefully, I didn't talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> Then I check to just bow without crush Let's dance without thinking